So here we are. You can see that I've, I've picked an easy subject today. Um, I'm going to run through this really quick, and, and we'll, we'll have this solved, and we'll go from there. The problem of evil. Uh, again, we're just talking, we're, we're, we want to look at, at some apologetic kind of things, and apologetics is simply the defense of the faith. It, it's giving an answer to, to those who, uh, who would question our faith or who would, who would come questioning or, or asking or seeking or whatever that would look like. First uh, Peter 3.15 reminds us of this, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And once again, I want to emphasize the gentleness and respect aspect of it, um, that this is who we are as God's people, that we, you don't need to defend God because um, God, God can handle himself. So there's no need to get wrapped around the axle in conversation with other people, especially people who don't get it or don't uh, believe. But when we handle this with an answer and with gentleness and respect, um, we are pushing and moving the gospel forward in the, in the culture around us. So what is evil? Why is it here? You know, the reality of evil is that it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what system of belief you have. Even if you're an atheist, if you don't believe in God, there is a problem and a reality of evil in this world. There, it's, a, it's a real thing, folks. We, we know that it's real, that it's happening, that it's, it's touching our lives, and, 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 and it's here. And so we, we run into this problem when we start to... Um, when we start to put together the idea of God and evil, it's called theodicy. It's, it's, it's the idea of how do we balance out God with this problem of evil that we see in the world around us? Well, how do we explain that? If God is good, if God is all-powerful, if he's all-knowing, then why does it exist? And, 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 and why doesn't it, even more than why, why doesn't he just stop it? Why, why doesn't God just end it? Because I know if I was all-powerful, I certainly would probably try to put it into any evil that was in the world and around me. And so, so we've got to look at that and we've got to wrestle with these things. And, you know, there are many things that the, the category of evil is actually a very broad spectrum. It, it, it's not just simply moral evil. I mean, if you're a parent and if you ever stepped on a Lego, you know that that is evil manifest right in the living room right there, right? So we've got everything from stepping on a Lego to um, moral evil, human suffering, and even natural disasters. When we look and we see what's happening in the world today, right, in Turkey and Syria, and, and just this massive, just unbelievable natural disaster. I think that the, de- the toll is like at 33,000 people I heard this morning. I mean, imagine all of Sheridan gone. All of Sheridan County, not just Sheridan, Sheridan County gone. <laughs> just like that. So, so we, have to, we have to deal with this and we have to look at this because it's a reality in our lives. And, and, and you see, the problem with evil is, is that it, it causes people to, to begin to question God's existence. It, it, does he even exist? Is he good? Or does he even care? These are the questions. These are the things that we have to look at as we kind of look into this idea of evil. And we've all experienced evil, as I've said before. Sometimes evil is something that has just snuck in on us. It, it, it's touched our lives. And many times it's come from outside of us. It's, it, it's something that was someone else's sin that, that poured over and touched our lives. 
And we didn't ask for it. We don't understand it and we don't get it. <laughs> but nonetheless, it's a reality in our lives. It's also something that we've perpetuated in our own lives. And we've all done what is evil or what is wrong or amoral or any of those kinds of things. And so we've perpetuated it as well. And when we talk about perpetuating evil, we have to realize this. It's not just what we've done. It's also what we have not done. The Bible really lists two types of sin. One is the sins of commission, the things that we have done. And the other is the sins of omissions, the thing that we ought to have done. The things that were the right thing to do. James reminds us that, that, that when we know what is the right thing to do and yet do not do it to us, then that is sin. So it's not a substance. Evil, as we think about this evil, what is it? It's not a substance. There's not a powder. There wasn't an evil powder that was, that was created that then kind of got on everybody and evil went out from there. It's, it's really a consequence to the free will. It, it's a, it is... Um, it's a consequence to the free will. You see, choice is, is something that God has given us, and choice in and itself does not create evil, but it does allow for the possibility of evil. The potential for evil is in choice. Evil is an effect. It's an effect of things. There are many things in our culture that, that we would label or, or, or we mislabel or we misuse Scripture. We say things like, you know, money is, is the root of all evil. We hear things like that, but that's not what the Bible says. It says that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, right? And, and, and so money in and itself is amoral. It has no moral basis, for, but, but the morality of money is in the person who holds it. What they do with the money sometimes can make it moral or amoral. This has been an ongoing problem. We see the psalmist, and, and, and this happens in so many places in Scripture. Why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? Habakkuk. O oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help? And you will not hear or cry out to you violence. And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are set before me. Strife and contention arise. The psalmists are simply saying, the, the world, I see it, it's all around me and it's pressing in on me. And why don't you do something about it, God? Why don't you just put a stop to it? Why don't you just end this? So when we look at this concept and this idea, again, of, of theodicy, I want to point out a couple of things that really aren't biblical, that kind of really creep in. One is this. It's the idea. It's Eastern thought. It's Eastern thought on evil. And so sometimes even Christians are having these kinds of things and these kinds of symbols. But, but, but so, so the yin and the yang, kind of a, a picture of evil in Eastern uh, thought is, is this. It's the idea that good and evil are really reliant upon one another to exist. It, it says this, it says basically you just can't have good without evil. And that in every bit of evil there's some good and in every part of good there's actually some evil and, and there's just this interplay between these things. That's not biblical worldview or, or understanding of, of where, what evil is or where it comes from. See, the Bible teaches very clearly in Genesis 1 that when God created it was, it was good. It, it, it existed. So, so the Bible teaches this, that it's completely um, 
that good is able to exist apart from evil. That's how it was in the beginning. It's how it will be again in the end. Is the restoration of Eden. We'll talk about that at the end. But, 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 but that we don't need evil to have good. Now, evil very much makes good very obvious to us. And when we see the contrast between good and evil, it helps us to have a, a, a baseline and an understanding of that. But understand that this type of thinking is, is, is not biblical thinking. We do not need evil to have good. Good can exist in, in, in apart from evil and will again one day. Another, <clears throat> another thought is this, it, it, it's karma. And we'll talk about karma. Karma caught up with that guy. Karma caught up with you. Yes. You know, you're like, oh, yes. Karma got him, right? And, and we, we, we celebrate those. You know why we celebrate those things too? It's because we love justice deep down inside. Because we know justice is right. Which remember last week we talked about God and his justice and, 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 and evil and, 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 and all of those kinds of things. And the, and the question is, is if God has been the God that we've seen sometimes as he's judged what was evil in the Old Testament? Is he good? And, and, and we see all of the good characteristics actually of him, but then we see the reality that God is a just God, and he will deal with the problem of evil. But karma says this. Karma is a cosmic law, basically, and it says in a nutshell, and there's more to it, but it says no good deed goes unrewarded and no evil deed goes unpunished. That's the law of karma. So... That means all the time. And, and, and if you ever go to a place like, if you go, you got to go to Nepal, and Nepal's a Hindu country. And, and so in Hinduism, they have 330 million gods and goddesses. There is a god and a goddess of everything, literally. And, and it's this, and it's all run by the law of karma, basically. And, and so you're working your way up through reincarnation to eventually become Brahma which is a male position, Brahma, that's the highest place. And, and so you're working your way up through all kinds of reincarnations through plant life, insect life, animal life, human life, all of these different things. And so even as, as humans, there's, there are these levels where there, it goes from untouchables all the way up to Brahma, who are the priests and those kinds of things. But <clears throat> what you see about karma is, is that karma removes care and compassion in a place where it's truly practice. Why? Because when you see this guy and he's over there and he's laying in the ditch, guess what? Karma got him. It caught up to him. He's getting exactly what he deserves. And so therefore, because you don't want to become the target of cosmic justice, you don't mess with cosmic justice. You leave him over there. And, and his best hope at that point is to uh, submit himself to possibly this death or whatever karma is trying to teach him, and maybe later he might be incarnated into a better place or role. This is the hope of that. You see, and the Bible teaches something, the way where, where we get kind of a little bit messed up is that the Bible teaches something that's close to karma. It says this, it says, don't be fooled, God's not mocked. From what a man, out of what a man sows, out of this he reaps, basically, Right? And what that's saying is this. It's saying, hey, if in your life you're throwing good seeds, you're going to get a crop that's basically good. It doesn't mean that there's no evil, though. It doesn't mean that you're going to be completely protected from it. It doesn't mean that no tragedy is going to come your way. And if you're throwing bad seeds, you're also going to, one day you're going to yield a crop out of that as well. 
But see, the book of Job is a book that really comes against the idea of karma. The, the, the book of Job shows us that this. It says that, and we're going to look into it a little deeper in a minute, but, but it, basically it says that there's this guy, Job, and he's God's righteous guy, and God looks at him, and, and, and Satan comes before him and questions him. God's like, hey, do you see my best guy? He's my best guy right there, Job. He's the most righteous guy in the world. And, and, then, and then basically Satan questions him and says, well, he only... He, he only follows you because you bless him, and you, you bless him with all these different things and all that. And if you took that away, he, he wouldn't follow you anymore. And we see this incredible amount of suffering is beset upon Job and his life. Loss, terror, horror, all kinds of things. And, um, oops. But what it shows us is this. One of, the, one of the main lessons of the book of Job is this. Sometimes... Bad things happen to good people in this world. And, and that God is in control of it. It's not outside of God's control, but God is at work in the midst of it. And that's really hard. But this is the teaching. <clears throat> find where I'm at here again. You see, the atheist or the naturalist can only say too bad. So that's the only answer they have. When, when, when tragedy or something, and, and let me point this out too, the disbelief in God doesn't help the problem of evil. It doesn't make it any easier. It doesn't. But you see, people choose to disbelieve in God because they get frustrated over the reality of the presence of evil. But the Bible has a really good, and I think it's by far the best answer to give the world about the problem of evil. See, the biblical discussion for evil actually even begins before humans come onto the scene. The Bible teaches really that, there are, that God has created angels and human beings as free will agents. So God created the angels, and they were a, a free will agent. And they stood in the presence of God, and they would give glory and honor and service to God for way longer than we've been around. Can't tell you what, how long that is. But this is the function. But they did that as, as free will agents. There are two places in the Bible, and we don't get a whole lot, honestly, on this. But there are two places when we start to say, well, where did this all start from? And why do we have this problem of evil? There are two places, and it uses a type or typology of two kings. One is the king of Babylon and one the king of Tyre. In Isaiah, we look at this, and, and, it, and it, it switches from this idea, pretty soon, though, what we see in these kings is we see things that begin to apply to them and what is being spoken to them that they could have had no understanding of or no position in. So look at the first one. Isaiah 14. <clears throat> How are you fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn, son of the morning? This is the name that is given. This name is Lucifer. So remember, God did not create Satan. God created Lucifer. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Ezekiel does this same thing. It, it says, your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. 
I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before the kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitudes of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire out from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you into ashes on the earth. In the sight of all who saw you, all, know, all who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. Before this, it, it, it talked about how you were in the, you were in the garden. And, and, and all of these things that, that, again, couldn't have applied to the king of Tyre. It talks about the beauty of, of who he was and how he was, how he was just arrayed in, in, in these beautiful stones and all of these things. <clears throat> and then it talks about that basically pride came in. And pride came in. And, and, and what happened was that Lucifer began to desire the worship that was only worthy of God. And at that point in time... Evil now has entered the world because, you see, the thing about evil is that we are, we are meant to keep ourselves oriented towards God. And when we keep ourselves oriented towards God, then we're, looking, we're, we're following, we're, we're doing these different things. And, and evil wasn't the issue. But, you see, when we begin to orient ourselves somewhere else, when we begin to orient ourselves away from God, then evil begins to manifest itself. And it grows. And it just starts at this place of disobedience. It started at this place of, of, of just dishonoring God, of just desiring what was God's. You see, it's the same, it's, it's the same basic um, uh, thing that came into the garden. The deception that came to the garden, the core deception that lives inside of us is that you too can be like God. You can be like God. You won't need God, right? It was, this was the serpent's thing was, was that... Um, oh, God knows that in the day that you eat of the fruit of that tree, you'll be like him. And you'll determine for yourselves what's right and wrong. You won't need God. You'll be God. You'll be just like him. See the same thing. And, and so that brought then evil into this world. And, and that is the place. This is the beginning place for us. <clears throat> this is where evil manifests itself into the world. And the next thing that we see pretty much in the text after that is that we see that Cain kills Abel. Murder then proceeds out of these things. Why? Because of, because of jealousy and desire and pride and all of those things. You see, it becomes a manifestation. It's not a powder that's poured on everybody. It, it, it's just simply when we begin to orient ourselves away from God that what happens is, is that evil begins to, 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 to have its way. It, it, it's kind of like the idea of darkness or coldness. Like, like, it's like there's not really darkness, there's just an absence of light. There's not really cold, there's just the absence of heat. And, and so while I'm going to say there is evil, the, the cause of evil is because we, we go to the dark away from the light. We, we reorient ourselves towards that darkness. And, 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 but the light, is always, it, the light is always shining to some degree within the darkness, no matter how dark it is. I, I, you, you, it's like you can't really get away from light in, in this world. And it's the same way that God, in the midst of this, he's at work. So we have two real response, uh, responses to, to evil, uh, especially to moral evil, and, and, and that's, that's really an intellectual and an emotional response to those things. And, and the intellectual means that we can kind of piece this together a little bit and we can get kind of some of it together, but still emotionally, we're, we're really drug into this thing, and it's hard. 
I was uh, watching a guy, this guy like, his name is Mike Winger, and he, he, has, this, he has this podcast called Think Biblically, and, and he had a great illustration, I'll steal it, and he said this, like, like imagine if all of a sudden, and I don't have a gun, but, but if I pulled out a gun and I was like, stop, and I, it's like aimed right at you, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, and, you, and I said, stop it. And you're like, what? I'm not doing anything. And then, boom, I shoot, and the, the, the bullet goes right by your head. And, and all of a sudden, you turn around and you look, and there was a guy who had an axe that was about to kill you. Okay? And, and so, intellectually, you could get a hold of the idea that, okay, I can, put, I can make sense of this, that Tri shot the guy because he was about to kill me, but emotionally... This is going to still have very, you know, you can have nightmares about me pointing a gun at you or something, you know. I mean, there's, there's, there's this emotional effect, and that's generally really what we're dealing with when we begin to deal with the concept and the problem of evil. You see, there's a moral evil, and a moral evil is, is simply going against what God calls us to. It's, it's going against how he's laid life out for us and, and the rules and the parameters by which God has given us to live by. When we, when we go against those things, when we go against anything that would be the mind of God, the, the loving God, the, the, the God of, that we read about in here, then that's sin. And sin, remember, comes from our own lusts, our own desire to be God. So, so James tells us that when, 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 when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death all the time. So you see... So many of the things when we start talking about moral evil, remember, we've got to talk about both what we've done, sins of commission and sins of omission. Many times in this world, we blame God for the thing that has been put onto us. You see, God gave us a job way back in the garden, and part of that job was to go out, to flourish, to multiply, to subdue the earth. And in that to go out and to subdue the earth, it's, it's the idea that, that God gave us this blank slate. And he said, now go out there and, 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 and create and innovate and make this a place where humanity can flourish. So who are we today? Well, we're mad at God for a lot of things, a lot of things that we put on God. And we, we say this is evil because God doesn't do something about it. We, we look at children that are starving to death around the world. And we say, how could a good God allow these children to starve to death? And you know what? I think God looks at us and says, how can you? I've given you everything you need. All of the capacity, all of the innovation, all of the technology to feed the world, we have it. There's no doubt in my mind that we can do it. All of the land and all of the, the everything that we have. But you know what? Because it's not an economic viability for us, we, 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 we see it as a liability. We, we, we won't do it. And we have this capacity because of who we are, that, that this sin lives in us, that if it's not right in my backyard, I, it's not my problem, it's somebody else's. And, and, and so, so really, a lot of this stuff that we blame on God, we blame war on God. Well, James tells us the source of war, right? That, that we, we desire for our own end, and when we can't get that, then, then, then we war, and we wage war over that. That, that really so much of the problems and so many of the things that we blame on God and we get angry at God and we say, how could God let this happen is simply our stuff. It, it's really our lack of, 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 of commitment to the gospel and, and, and to the great commission and to the furtherance 
of, of what we were talking about this morning. Only God can make a difference in this. Only God can change this. So we've got moral evil and then we've got suffering. Human suffering, and this is a reality. The book of Job deals with this very, very, in an amazingly profound way. And, and the book of Job is one of the oldest texts, most likely. I mean, it's, it is most, many scholars will tell you it's the oldest book in the Bible. Now, Genesis deals with things that predate Job, but Job is pre-Israelite. It's pre-Israel. Genesis begins with Abraham and this, this, this journey of Israel up to becoming a nation. Job is before any of that. And before any of that, what was the big question? It's about evil. Wow, the suffering in this world and evil. And what is the answer to this? And how do we, how do we balance this out between God, a good God, and what we see in the world around us? And, and so what we see, and this is really hard, but we see that in the book of Job, in the beginning, it says again that Satan comes before in this council, and God says, hey, have you considered my servant Job? He's the best there is out there. This is my paraphrase. And, 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 and Satan says, oh, you know, yeah, but it's only because you have a hedge around him. That's where we always pray that hedge of protection thing from. You know what I mean? Keep it a hedge of protection right there. Anyway, uh, you've got a hedge around him, and, and, and you, you, you bless him. And, and so if you took that away, if you stretched out your hand and you touched him with that, then, then, then he wouldn't serve you anymore. And you know what God said? He said, okay, you can take it away from him, but you can't touch him. And so God sets the parameters by which Satan is allowed to bring destruction and calamity into Job's life. And Job loses all of his children. He loses all of his wealth, his animals. That was the currency. He, he loses it, basically everything, everything that was important to him in a way. And... and and it says that he worshiped, and he didn't sin against God in that. So guess what happened to him? Thank you, Jesus, may I have another. Round two comes his way. And now this time, when Satan comes before God, he says, well, the only reason that, you know, skin for skin, you let me touch his health, and he'll curse you. He will. Let me touch him. The only reason now that he's not doing it is because you, you, you've kept his health. And God said, Okay. You can touch him, but you can't kill him. And Job is blisters and boils and sickness and all of this stuff. Even his wife says, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job won't do it. And, 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 and so we're, we're, we're brought into this narrative of this, of this idea of this incredible suffering and pain and hurt and evil that has come on to Job. Job said this to his wife when she said, why don't you curse God and die? He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish woman, women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? In all of this, Job did not sin with his lips. And we say, wow, what is that? Evil. Should we not receive evil from God? The word there for evil, it, it actually means more like calamity. It means more like, uh, yeah, calamity. Uh, just, just difficult circumstance. And, and, and so, so God has allowed this to happen in Job's life. There's no doubt about it. He's allowed it to happen. God could have stopped it. 
but he didn't. And he allowed this to touch the one that he said is my best guy. This is where I say karma doesn't exist because, again, we look at Job, and it wasn't because of something that he did. And that brings great comfort to us because sometimes we feel like, well, the hard things that I've been through, the difficult things in my life, the evil that has touched my life is somehow my fault. Maybe it's somehow something I did or something I didn't do or whatever, but the book of Job would refute that and say, no, sometimes, many times, sometimes, sometimes I bring it in. Sometimes I have. I've brought it into my life, but, but there are other times where it just it touches us and it's not because of what we've done. And so then we're challenged with this because we get to the end of it, and, and what we see through this whole next process is that God wrestles, and he struggles, and, and he tries to make sense of this. He, he finally says, God, just bring the charges, and I'll sign them. I've not, I've not done anything, but if you bring the charges, I want to see them. And that's when God begins to question him. Do you know all these things? And God takes him really into the creation. He takes him into the universe and the mysteries of the universe. And he begins to ask him things like, can you lead the Pleiades out? Can you, you know, can you, uh, do you, can you stop the, the, the waves at the, right at the shoreline? Can you do these things? Do you understand this? Do you know where all of these things are? How these? And, and the answer is, is, is no, we don't. We don't get it. And it's what God is telling him is, is exactly God is telling him, you don't get it because your perspective is too limited. It's, it's too small. Even if God went to explain to him what God was going to do in the midst of it, he wouldn't get it. If, if God was going to try to answer some of the questions that we have, we couldn't get it because our perspective is too narrow. But you see, his is unlimited. His is infinite. And he knows exactly what he's doing. And, and this is a God that is at work in the midst of this. In the end, it says that Job says, before I, I had heard of you with my ears, but now I see you with my eyes and I repent in dust and ashes. He had just said, I know that nothing that is of you can be thwarted. No plan that you make can be changed or thwarted or anything like that. And I, am, I just repent in dust and ashes because I brought accusation against you and I spoke out of a lack of knowledge. And, 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 and then we see that God blesses him. And it says he gets twice as much of everything that he had. And, and I don't know about you, but I could just tell you right now, that doesn't, sense, that doesn't do anything for my sense of justice. It really doesn't. I'm like, twice as much? No, Job was content. You know, to be honest with you, I don't think I'd feel very blessed if I got 10 kids tomorrow. <laughs> I just wouldn't. I love my kids, but five's good. And I don't want to start over again with that, you know. So, but anyway, but we have to take, here's the place where we have to step back. And this is the very place that we have to take about a 30,000 foot view of all of this. And we have to ask the question here right now, this, you see Job is gone and he's in the presence of the Lord. Do you think Job stands in the presence of the Lord today regretting the circumstances of his life here on earth? I don't think so either. I don't think that he does. I think even that somehow he's even grateful for the circumstances of his life in a way that we can't even understand or know right now. You see, Job got to answer those questions. He got to be the guy who said, you know what? The nature of the relationship between God and his people extends far beyond the temporal. It's not found just in stuff. 
It's not just in blessings. It's not just in the fact that God would bless us materially. And it's not just that God would hold on to our health physically either, that it transcends all of that. It goes deeper than that. It's a relationship that cannot be broken by the temporal. God got, uh, Job got to be the guy who answered that question and said, no, there's something more to the relationship between God and his people than just stuff. And then as we take a look a little bit further back too, here's the other thing that we have to realize. As bad as we think Job had it, as terrible as the suffering and the difficulties and the pain that he experienced, we're serving a God who stepped into the middle of that, who didn't just relegate suffering to us, who didn't say, oh, too bad for you guys. It just happened. I don't get it, but too bad for you. I'm hanging out in heaven, and it's all good for me. And one day I'll know this is a God who entered into the middle of it, identified with the suffering, identified with your life and my life and where we're at and the struggles of, 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 of this life and what's to come. And, and, and you know what? And then he died. And then the sinless, the perfect sinless son of God had the sin of the world placed on his soul. He became the curse so that he might be the way out of the curse. He subjected himself to his creation so that his creation might be with him one day. And there's never been anything more unjust than that. There's nothing, there's never been suffering or injustice on the level to what Jesus experienced it. Jesus' death certainly was physically painful, but there have been a lot of physically painful deaths in this world as well. But Jesus was, was spiritually incredibly painful for him to know the sinless, his sinless soul to bear the weight of all of the sin of the world. I can't even imagine what that, what that was like. And so Jesus, God has stepped into this story and he stepped into our suffering and our pain. Why has he allowed it? Well, it's going to sound weird but I think it's because of love. Why has God allowed evil to exist? Well, because love had to be a possibility. And love is only a possibility when there's the option of the no. The yes only has importance when there's the possibility of the no. You only really get married to someone when two people say yes. Like I've said before, when one says yes, that's kidnapping. You go to jail for stuff like that. You can't do that. You can't have a love relationship where only one is in agreement. And, and, and love demands the choice. See, forced love isn't love at all. You can't force love. You can't make it happen. So God has allowed for the possibility of evil because that's the, hard, uh, that's the hard consequence to choice is that it opens up the possibility to that. And when that's happened, when we start looking at the idea of natural evil or like this earthquake that we've seen, what we have to understand is Romans 8 tells us this, for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
So God is the creation that was made for us when we gave this up, when we chose something different, when we gave the authority that had been given to us over this earth and this place, we gave it over to Satan, and it became corrupt. And the whole of creation fell at the time that we fell. The other thing of why it keeps going on is because God is patient. Second Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And, and so God is, God is patient because, I don't know about you, but there was a time not that long ago for me, about 22 years, 23 years ago maybe, if he'd have wrapped it all up then, and been done with it, I'd have been without hope. I'm pretty thankful he's patient. Here's the other thing. If God got rid of evil, guess who all would have to go? All of us. We'd all have to go. There wouldn't be any of us that would survive that. So where's it going? Well, God doesn't promise us that we won't be touched by evil. But he does promise to walk with us and to provide a way. It's that whole thing, right, the end of Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, right? You, you, uh, you're caring for me. You're taking care of me. You have the power to do that. You, you, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even though I'm surrounded by my enemies, you prepare a banquet for me and you feed me even in that place. Surely goodness and mercy will follow us all of the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, God has reasons too for all of what's happening. Romans 8.28 tells us this. It says, and it's one of the most misquoted verses again. It says, God works all things for the good. Too many people stop there. They say, God works all things for the good. He doesn't. God works all things for the good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. There are many things in the evil and things in this world that never get work for the good. It's not because God can't or won't work them for the good. It's that we don't ever bring it to him and allow him into it to work it for the good. You see, Jesus has entered the suffering. He's taken the consequences of evil upon himself. And one day, he's going to make it all right. And I believe that 30 seconds in heaven is going to put in the rearview mirror all of the difficulties, all of the pains, all of the hard things. See, it's the restoration of Eden. It's the day that God sets it all back to its original intention. He's, he resets the whole thing. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You see, it's hard, but he's a just God, and one day he's going to set the books right. That's what it says. And we so wish 
that the book of Job and that I maybe could sit up here and give you an answer, a really, a really great answer for why is it here, but I, I, I'm going to leave us in the tension of it all. I don't have all the answers, but see, God hasn't called us to understand. He hasn't called us to understand all of this. He's called us to trust him, to walk with him, to allow him to walk with us, to know and to trust in his goodness that one day he's doing all of this. And in the midst of it all, he's still at work. And if that wasn't the case, it really wouldn't be okay. So Lord, we just, uh, we just come before you. We just want to trust you in a deeper place. We want to know more about you. And Lord, we thank you that you entered into our suffering, that you, uh, you allowed yourself to, to be subjected to, to what we've done, and then you've made a way of salvation that was impossible for us. You've, you've made a way that we can have a relationship to you, a holy and righteous and perfect God, as flawed as we are, and the evil that we've perpetuated, the, the things that we've allowed in the world around us, Lord. Help us to, to know what you're doing and help us to, to walk forward in, in the righteousness that you've called us to. Help us to walk in the true identity of who we are, that we are holy, blameless, and beyond reproach, that we are a new creation, that we are walking in you, that, that we aren't sub subject to sin anymore in our lives, that we aren't just a slave to it, but that you've set us free from that. And help us, Lord, to be agents of change in the world around us. Help us to love well into the world around us. Help us to bring the goodness of who you are. Help us to bring the gospel uh, into this world because that's the solution to evil. The solution to evil is transformed lives, Lord. Something that we can't do, but you can do. And you've given us the high privilege to join you in that work. So, Lord, we just pray, God, that you would walk with us. God, that we would be filled with the Spirit as we leave this place and that we would take it into our workplace and our schools and Wherever we find ourselves, Lord, we would be quick to share a reason for the hope that is within us. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen.